This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Why Is Everyone Yelling with Lindsay Hine. I am your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you're here today. I'm in a really good mood because it was 75 and sunny. And if that doesn't put you in a good mood, I don't know what will. Just a beautiful day here where I live and I was outside so much and outside time is just the answer to a lot of things in life. Makes me happy. Hey, today you're listening to episode 72 and my guest is Jen Couch. Jen feels passionate about making safe spaces for women to have conversations about alcohol without judgment, labels, or rules. She is a retired gray area drinker. And in her mid 40s, she felt tired and stuck and on autopilot and needed a change. So she just hit 50 and she's a new empty nester and she talks about this amazing community that she has started it's called sober sis she's had over 20,000 women from all over the world participate in her programs and she's just a safe space where you can ask questions it's a really great community you don't have to be all or nothing to just check it out and She's got a great 21-day reset challenge. And look, this is not about judgment about your alcohol drinking or my alcohol drinking. I will tell you right now, I drink alcohol probably five days a week. And uh, it's something I'm curious about. It's something I'm curious about not doing as much. And I'm super honest in this conversation, as is Jen. So I think the biggest takeaway I had, and I kind of came to that conclusion at the end of the conversation, was like, I just want to be present, right? I want to be clear-minded. And that conversation really, it really felt like, it really gave me a pull to be super intentional about that. So anyway, I hope that it's helpful for you. I hope that it gives you some insight. And she has a lot of great resources. SoberSys.com is her website. You can also find her on Instagram. She's SoberSys over there. And if you love this podcast and you know someone that might want to listen to it, send them the link. I would love for potential new listeners to find us through that. Uh, You could also leave us a rating and review. That is the easiest way to support a podcast. If you want to support a podcast beyond listening, leaving a rating and review is just the simplest way to do that. And so I appreciate it if you do. Uh, All right, friends, enjoy this conversation with Jen Couch. All right. Well, today on the podcast, we have Jen Couch on the show. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you so much. Really excited to have you on the show. Uh, You know, I've recorded one other podcast uh, about alcohol that related to alcohol, and that happened to be with my very own sister who has been living a sober life for over one year now. So um, this will be fun. This will be fun. And that first year is a pretty dynamic, um, a pretty dynamic time. A lot of first. Totally. And I know it was a, I mean, I know it was a really big deal for her to hit a year and she kind of came into the community, uh, more gray area drinker, like you talk about in your work. So I'm super familiar with the conversation around this and I'm super, super curious myself. Yeah. 
Awesome. Have to admit, I sometimes like to avoid these conversations because I don't want to like enter into not drinking alcohol. Right. Like what would this mean? Right. <laughs> if I really knew more. Because <laughs> I think about it a lot. I mean, I, I yeah. really, really do. So, and, and, you know, when I recorded that episode with my sister, it was immediately my highest downloaded episode. So people are curious. They are curious. And, you know, I mean, I was curious for years before I did anything about it. I knew that I wanted to change my relationship with drinking but I didn't know how, and I didn't know if I wanted to be an all or nothing type drinker. So I was very curious for a long time as well. That's one of the things I want to talk about because I can't quite figure out if I can be this middle of the road type of person. Uh, so right. we'll get there. But Jen, tell yeah. us a little bit about your story. You have a great community called Sober Sis, and tell us a little bit about your journey to getting to this point in your life. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me and asking because I really do love to share my story because I feel like it's it's representative of a lot of stories out there. Um, I just turned 50 this past summer. Happy birthday. Uh, you got to celebrate that for a full year. Oh, it's still going. Yeah. Yep. It's still going. I'm still in the, I just turned 50 mode, even though it's been six months. Um, <laughs> so so um, yeah, my goal was to show up differently at 50 than I did 40. Um, when I turned 40, I was really at the beginning of what would be probably the hardest season of my life, which was about a five-year stint of raising teenagers, hitting that 20-year married mark. Um, I just felt like life was all about kind of surviving and getting people where they needed to go and staying out of the way, if that makes sense. And so, um, yeah, when I turned 40, I felt overwhelmed. I felt um, out of sync with myself a little bit. And just, you know, like when you kind of hit a mega birthday, like 40, like 50, you tend to be extra reflective. And I remember at 40, I wasn't extra reflective. I was like, oh, this is it. I'm not really where I want to be. Oh, well, I, my head's down. I got to keep grinding it out. And I really got into the hustle and the grind of just being everything to everybody and kind of losing myself in the meantime. So age 40 to 45 for me, again, good things were happening in my life. It wasn't all bad, but it was a challenging time for me internally. And that's when I noticed the uptick in my drinking and my relationship with drinking really just kind of took a turn, I guess, from being just a social pleasantry to just kind of be like everybody else to becoming something that I was really looking forward to at the end of a, of a day. And it didn't matter if it was a Tuesday night or a Friday night. It didn't matter if I was at a book club or on a date night with my hubby or alone on my patio. It all kind of started to turn into this homogenous. Um, it's five o'clock. It's five o'clock somewhere. It's certainly five o'clock at my house. And, um, you know, it's my transition. That's how I looked at drinking, like my transition from responsible, mindful, healthy girl by day, getting it all done right, checking every box. Man, I'm, I'm waking up. I'm having a great, you know, meditation prayer time. I'm going to even my Bible study. I'm hitting a yoga class. I'm juicing my kale. I'm volunteering. I mean, I'm getting it done. And then at five o'clock, 
well, when is it my time, mm-hmm. me time, that reward and that exhale almost from the day. And that's when I recognized is that it was just becoming such an unaligning thing in my life because it didn't match who I was as much during the day. Cause I would just kind of check out like, like just that I was purposely mindlessly and purposely mindlessly that's like an oxymoron <laughs> right there but I was I knew that when I started drinking it was with the goal of mindlessness and checking out which to me is the exact opposite of sober-minded living sober-minded living is being present awake alert aware in your own life and my goal was to become less aware <laughs> less awake less, uh, less there because I was so there in maybe a way that didn't have, I didn't have the healthiest boundaries. Um, anyway, so that was kind of me. That was me in my early forties, major in the mom zone, in the married zone, playing full, full defense and offense all the time. And again, drinking for me was oftentimes externally, something that did look like everybody else because I was, you know, waiting till five. I was only drinking a certain way um, for others to see, but internally um, drinking for me felt like an emotional uh, release Mm -hmm. slash crutch. I knew I was leaning on it. And the more um, anxious I became, the more I wanted to squelch that and suppress that which I didn't know um, the alcohol was actually inducing more anxiety. And it was like a wheel that I was on where I was actually creating new anxiety on top of the anxiety I already had just, you know, being, being a mom of teenagers and whatnot. So right before I turned 46, that's when my sober curiosity started um, meeting up with a lot of the resources that are out there today that were not there previously. Like this is a real movement. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, five years ago, things were starting to kind of get on the scene where you could even begin to talk about it in a normal way. 10 years ago, not so much. I mean, you really have to dig for that needle in a haystack. And it was not even mainstream enough to find a lot of Instagram accounts or I wasn't, I wasn't even on Instagram 10 years ago, (laughs) but, um, yeah, so I started, uh, seeing this conversation out there about gray area drinking and living your best life. And I started asking myself different questions instead of Googling, am I an alcoholic? Do I drink too much when I would have the 3am wake up call? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, instead of going that direction, because every time I looked at, kind of the end of the line drinking spectrum, I wasn't there. I knew I wasn't there yet. I think yet being a a key word, because I do feel like it's a highway that kind of is one direction more or less. Uh, But I think you can exit off of that highway at any time for any reason. And that it's never too soon to exit off that highway. Maybe you just need a rest stop and you need to regather your thoughts, reset, which is what I do every month with women, just help women reset They may choose to get back on the highway and drink a different way. They may decide, no, alcohol is not something that even aligns with me. I don't even want to be on the highway. And um, that was the journey I embarked on when I was 46. So to show up at 50 different than I did at 40, um, it took 
it took a flywheel almost of momentum to get started. And the lead domino for me was changing my relationship with drinking. And um, yeah, it led me on a four year journey that I'm still very much on today, but hitting that, that milestone of turning 50 um, with that goal in mind um, really pulled me forward. Do you think there's a way to reset and get back on the highway in a healthy way? Like it's that's hard. Question. And I think for a lot of women, the thought of exiting the highway and never getting on just makes you kind of stay on the highway. Yeah. Right? Cause you're like, do I want to, do I want that to be my new life from here on out? Right. Especially when, when it's uncertain or unknown, it's the great unknown. Like, would this be better? I'm not sure. And I think that's where I love the word curiosity coming into play and the idea of resetting. I think when women do take the 21 day reset challenge that I offer in that 21 days, the goal is to set drinking aside even long enough to get the clarity to feel good again. Like, I think we settle for not feeling our best Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, it's perimenopause. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's being in the mom zone. Oh, it's just, it's just stressful out there. You're, I'm supposed to feel this way. And what I discovered when I first stopped drinking, just with the goal of taking a break, not stopping forever, um, I started feeling way better, like within a week or two. My sleep started stabilizing. My anxiety even started going down. I mean, within seven to 10 days of being alcohol-free, having the alcohol out of my system. And most people don't go seven to 10 days if you're a regular drinker, a habitual drinker, because, well, that includes a weekend. Yeah. yeah. That's like, whoa, no. And so um, what I find is a lot of women will do something like the reset with the trepidation, I, I work with women all the time that are both excited and nervous equally. Like that that dualistic uh, thinking is okay in that case because you can have both. And after the 21 days, it's like, wow, I feel so good. What if I just went a little further? Maybe I'll go 30 days and round up the month. Maybe I'll shoot for the 100 days. It's kind of like a big first milestone. Um, which is exactly what I did. I did not say never. Mm. I did not start tricking my brain with this deprivation mm-hmm. mindset mm-hmm. and this, um, I want it, but I can't have it. I started working on my desires so that I was actually working on what it is I wanted changing so that I was always doing what I really wanted to do. Um, or, or began working on that. So I started changing. I wanted to not want it so bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, totally. <laughs> Just, I wanted to not want it so bad. And if I wanted it, I wanted to have it without so much cognitive dissonance, mental tug of war, guilt, shame, anxiety, and all the craziness that moderation can bring. Um, Side note, if you're out there listening to us and you're like, yeah, I think I want to try moderation. If you're even thinking about moderating your drinking, that may be a cue or a little signal right there that you might want to tap the brakes on drinking um, and look at this closer because most people that don't struggle with their relationship with alcohol don't moderate. Mm -hmm. They're not, they don't need to moderate. 
you know, I'm not a big broccoli eater. Mm. I don't moderate my broccoli intake. It's just not really my thing. Yeah. When you talk about moderation, I think about this with food too, because I've always been the kind of person that I won't do a diet. I won't be like, I'm going to eat keto. I'm going to do low carb. I'm going to cut out dairy. Like I won't cut anything out because I don't want to obsess about food. I don't want to moderate. Like I don't want to give myself food rules because if I really want a cookie or I really want to, you know, whatever, I don't, I don't want to feel like I'm depriving myself. So I think that that is what makes this difficult too, because if I make a big deal about the fact that I need to moderate, well, then I'm making it a deal right? I'm making it a big deal. Well, and your brain picks up on this. Don't drink. You know, if you're like, Lindsay, don't drink, don't drink. And you're telling this self-talk is um, I'm going out Friday night and I want to drink, but I'm, I don't want to drink like Mm -hmm. that, that double feeling of, I want to drink more. I want to drink less. I want to drink tonight. I don't want to drink tonight. Instead of uh, saying, don't drink, don't drink. All our brain hears is drink. It's Mm it's this double negative where our brain just kind of focuses, like you said, on the drink. And instead, when we say, I want to wake up feeling awesome. Mm. I want to um, sleep really well tonight without any disruption. I want a restorative sleep night, not one where I wake up with a dry mouth at three. I want to go to an earlier morning yoga class than I could if I drank. I want to, I want to do these things. So instead of focusing on what you're gaining instead of what you're losing or giving up is a mindset hack that has worked really well for me because it wasn't about what I couldn't have. Mm -hmm. It was about what I could have. And my brain was like, oh, okay, I'm going to focus on that. And that made me feel more empowered. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love that. That's that's such a great analogy. Uh, I think we can use that for a lot of things in life. Yeah, yeah. It's a mind trick. You know, I think what's interesting about your story is that um, you kind of picked up the drinking in your 30s, whereas right. a lot of us, I think, if depending on when we had kids, my drinking right. picked up when my kids were little. And it wasn't even that I was like, oh, buying into this like mommy wine culture. I like always I've always thought those like like memes and stuff were silly. Um, But it was a like, okay, my husband's getting home from work at seven. I'm here with my kids. I feel like I'm going crazy. I'll have a glass of wine. And it just kind of working hour. Right. And it became a routine for us. And my husband, too. I mean, he cracks the beer after work every day. Almost for sure. Um, so it's interesting to me because I'm like, oh my gosh, you made it that far. And then you started, you know what I mean? I'm like, you conquered the toddler years without falling into it. I didn't. Yeah. My kids were, um, probably, you know, five and six kind of like kindergarten school age years. And ironically, what, what flipped the switch for me was I was a part of a network marketing company where I was at home during the day. And going to these happy hours mm-hmm. in the evening. And that's where it really kicked up for me. Um, and the opportunity to drink started to present itself 
well, around that time, a lot of the weekday evenings, and then it kind of rolled, of course, into the weekend, because that's the weekend. My husband started drinking as well. We were neither one of us big drinkers. It was not our activity yet. It became our activity. Mm -hmm. And we didn't meet in college in the drinking scene, Mm -hmm. which again is unique. I know a lot of people do, so there's nothing wrong with that. But um, yeah, we didn't really have drinking as our thing. The first, you know, seven, eight years we were married, it wasn't our date night. um, Let's go find a cool, you know, wine tasting place. It was really the next 10 to 15 years that that it did become our activity. I was getting the Groupons <laughs> for drinking See, events. <laughs> I'm really like, I want to know more about when you decided to quit though, because, well, I know you entered into the 21 days first and then you did the 100. Yeah. But I heard you say that your husband, that second time you, you went into alcohol-free, right. wasn't on board with doing it. And I will tell you, that is hard. I mean, yes. my husband, he he says regularly, like, yeah, I want to cut back on the beer. Not, though, because he has the, like, clarity, like, mental clarity issues and, like, the anxiety issues. He's like, I want to lose my beer gut. Like, that's what he said, right. you know. And he doesn't think he has a mental hang-up. But I'm curious how that worked with your relationship. What does it look like now? Did you feel resentful? Because I feel like if I was, like, I'm doing this for my health. I want you to do it with me. And he didn't want to, that I would be super resentful. You know, that is something that I struggled with early on. Absolutely. hundred percent. Um, in fact, and I, I, I've talked about this a lot. I don't blame my husband for my drinking or my relationship with alcohol because that's my own lane. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there were times that his influence influenced me. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, Totally. We just influence each other. When you're married and you live life with someone, you influence each other. We've influenced each other a lot for the good. I mean, whether that's working out or eating this or that or whatever. But um, in this area, I think I was holding out like for a long time. If he'll change, if he'll lead the way, if he'll go first, I'm all on board. But oh, if he's going to drink in front of me and I'm on the fence, I'm going in. I'm sorry. I just did not have the the willpower to combat that. And that's where something shifted in me. I stopped using willpower and I started become willing. Mm. I wanted more. I, I guess I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. What I wanted was to feel wholehearted. Mm. And I wanted that more than the uncomfortableness of a spouse that drinks and me staying stuck there for me that for me, that would have been stuck. And I was stuck for a long time. So I think for me, um, releasing him from being a part of my success or what, what I was afraid of, which was failure that I couldn't do it, that I would, I just could, I really thought I couldn't do it. So if anyone out there is listening and you're like, Jen, I've tried so many times to drink less or not at all. I've tried to cut down and I can make it a few days, maybe weeks, maybe even months. And then you just go right back in almost like more than before, mm-hmm. like a, like with a vengeance, almost like, well, screw it. I've already gone in, you know, I'm, I'm going deeper because there's that guilt and that frustration of not meeting your goals. So I, I had to let go of that. I had to just go, you know what? I don't know where this is going to take me. 
And I remember um, my, I remember my, my last drink. Um, it was a very kind of profound experience. I was downtown Fort Worth with my husband. We were having our two margaritas on the rocks together at our favorite Mexican food restaurant. It was kind of my last hurrah for my first goal was six weeks, actually. So 42 days, I was going to double the 21 there. Um, and I had no plan for after the six weeks, mm. none. And I took that, I took the big picture off the table, but I knew I had the desire in my heart to be so free from alcohol that it became so small in my life that if I wanted it, I could have it. But if I didn't want it, that would be even better because then I would be more free. And um, from the desire versus trying to, to suppress the desire that was always going to be there. What if I could actually change the desire for alcohol and what it was, what I thought it was giving me. And so I looked at him and I said, Hey babe, I don't know where this is going. You do you, you drink what you want when you want. And I'm going to go on this journey. I want you to know it because I, I do need your support. I'm not like hiding the fact that I'm taking yet another break from alcohol but this time it's going to be different. I'm going to learn everything I can about alcohol itself. I'm going to kind of stare it down in the face instead of trying to avoid it, um, deprive myself of it, not go out, act like, oh, no, I can't be around alcohol because I want it so bad. It's going to get me. No, bring it in. Bring it in. And I, that's what I did. I kind of went at it more than trying to run from it. And I stared it down in the face from even a substance point of view, like, I don't think I know enough about alcohol. Why, why do I crave it? Really? What's going on? Like, why do I have one glass and, and really want another one? And why one never seems like enough? Like, why did one seem like enough at the beginning? It seems like a joke now. Mm -hmm. Like, why is that? Why am I waking up at 3am? Is it correlating at all to alcohol? I don't know. A big time it is. So, it was eye-opening for me to do a deep dive in the science behind alcohol. Um, I, I read a lot of books about mindset and habits, habits themselves, how to literally recreate your habits so that at wine o'clock, I was prepared. I could mm -hmm. pre-decide and pre-plan on what I was going to do. So I wasn't in default mode, just hoping for the best you know, that wasn't going to work because that was willpower. And I would have decision fatigue at the end of a long day where I just couldn't keep deciding. Mm -hmm. I decided at 10 a.m. I wasn't drinking that night. But if I kept deciding all day, like re-deciding, I'd run out of steam by five o'clock because, boy, it was calling my name. It was calling my name. And so um, or if I was out and about and everybody had a drink in their hand, which is common in my world. Oh, yeah. I had to have a different plan. And, um, it was a challenge. It can still be a challenge. Sometimes I'm going on, uh, five years alcohol free this April. And, um, my husband is still a consistent drinker. When I say consistent, I mean, he's in the real estate business. There's a lot of happy hours. Um, you know, he's a, he's a man's man. So he's at the ranch with the guys popping them open. I mean, it's part of his lifestyle very much still. And that's okay. Mm. I've really had to, to come to terms with, and that's okay. He has a different relationship with alcohol than I did. He really doesn't look at it like I was looking at it. Um, and we talk about it. 
And it's been very interesting doing Sober Sis, building it from scratch and doing it full time with his complete support and yet having a drinking spouse the whole time. But I think it makes me actually a little bit more relatable because I think that's more common than not. Oh, I totally agree with that. I mean, I think that that is, I think that that's huge. I think it's really hard for a lot of people. And the way that you described when you tried, you know, decided to enter into this, like, I'm going to like learn as much as I can. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've thought about that. I'm like, well, if he just didn't drink, it'd be a lot easier for me not to drink. And, but like, this is my life. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I can't rely on him to like make sure my business moves forward well. Like this is my business. Exactly. You know, we are responsible to other people, but we're only responsible for ourselves. And so I did, I, I just, I, I shifted my focus. Mm-hmm. I shifted my focus from him and avoidance and moderating to, I want something more. I want something better. I want to up-level my own life because I'm so tired of running two games. I want one and I want to, I want to, I want to wake up and feel like proud of myself. I don't want to watch this is us again, the last 20 minutes. Um, no, I, I just laugh because I, I think about it a lot at night. I'm like, is this my routine now? Is this, is this you know, what we're doing here? I don't the last 10 minutes of, of every show I watched because I was there and not all there and it, it all kind of runs together. My life was running together. Yep. And I want my life to be all it can be on a daily basis. And sometimes that is really hard and I know it Mm -hmm. and I'm showing up for it a hundred percent sober minded. Um, And it's sobering sometimes when you look at at things going on, um, you know, in life and you don't like it, it's frustrating, but you know what, at least I can see what it is. And I don't have all this extra baggage that I was lugging around from drinking with extra anxiety, um, mix in a little bit of guilt and shame, the duplicity of my life, the, uh, the extra 15 pounds I was carrying just because I was, even though I was working out and doing all these, you know, detoxifying things. I talk about all the time. I was in the detox to retox. Yes. And so, I mean, I was going to the hot yoga. I was going to the sauna, not because I was so ultra healthy. I was trying to sweat it out and break even. And the older I got, the less breaking even was happening. And I was, I wasn't becoming more of who I wanted to be. I was becoming less and I was playing small in my own life, in my own family. I was playing small. I was small there. Hey, everybody, I want to thank Anna Luisa for supporting this episode of the podcast. They have the most beautiful high quality jewelry that is affordable. I am telling you this necklace I have been wearing every day. It's the Venta disc. It is just simple and beautiful and you can wear it with anything. And you know what? Their company is 100% carbon neutral. They are climate neutral certified, which is a really cool thing. They make every piece, including their packaging with the planet in mind, being earth conscious and taking responsibility for their impact on the planet is at the core of what they do. So not only are they committed to finding new sustainable paths to crafting their jewelry, they also make the most beautiful jewelry. I love their hoops. 
I have these tiny little hoops that I love so much. I've actually started wearing those every day instead of my just like diamond studs that I've had forever. So many great pieces over there and I highly recommend checking them out. They're just staples that go with anything. And then they also have some really fun pieces as well. The hoops I was talking about are called the mini huggy hoops, so cute. Uh, but they have some really fun pieces like the Hannah Marble Blue earrings as well, which those are super fun. I will post a picture of those as well. They're just beautiful. You all can save on Anna Luisa jewelry when you go to shop.analuisa.com slash yelling. The code yelling will get you up to 40% off your order. Thank you so much, Anna Luisa, for treating our planet well. And also thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast. All right, friends, back to my conversation. If we're honest with ourselves, I mean, think about a night that you have like two or three glasses of wine. How much less patient are you with your kids? Because when I have the wine, I'm like, but I'm supposed to be relaxing and having fun right now. And you're like, and I want to speed up bedtime and make everything faster. Oh, yeah. Whereas if I'm like, I'm just going for the tea tonight, which I do uh, some nights, I'm just more chill about it. I'm not like rushing it as much. Or yeah, you're not trying to hurry things along. Exactly. You know, for me, that witching hour, um, even still, like I don't, my, well, my youngest is still three, still pretty young, but we're out of like babies at least. Um, and my husband works from home now, so I'm not home by myself with kids all day. Like it's definitely like my life has shifted a lot and I have a lot more physical and emotional freedom than I did even three years ago. But, um, you know, for me, if I can get to seven without Mm -hmm. one drink, I won't even consider it most of the time because I'm like. Usually I want to wrap this up by 7.30 so I can minimize, minimize my sleep interruption, even though I know it still affects it. So for me lately, and I'm just saying this to people who might be listening, who might do that same, like it's like five to seven when I'm, you know, so when it's, so it's great. If kids have activities, I'm good. If I'm not home from an activity by 7.30, I'm good because I have to drive my kids around. But, um, I am scheduling to like go on a walk run with some neighborhood friends at 7.30, like feed kids at seven, husband get bedtime started. And if I have a physical thing I'm doing, which I normally wouldn't do later in the day, it's huge. Yeah, And and you have that accountability. You're meeting people out. Um, I am super curious though, shifting a little bit. How do you guys talk to your kids about this? Yeah. Well, that has been extremely interesting because I was really um, kind of at the height of my confusion, if you will, in my relationship with alcohol when my oldest, we've got two kids. I've got a daughter and a son. My daughter was aged 13 to 18 when I was 40 to 45. Right when kids start so like you put that math together. Right. Like her crazy time was kind of my survival time. And it, it was again, and she's a great, she's a great woman now. I mean, fast forward, you can do the math on that. She's almost 24. And so I'm the 50, she's the 24, but I stopped drinking when she was a freshman in college. She was 18. That's hard. I mean, it's like most (laughs) kids, I don't know the statistics, but I would say most kids probably have their first drink of alcohol. You maybe know the answer, but I would say like 15, 16. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's becoming a little bit earlier, but yeah, right around there. In fact, 
she was actually a huge part of my why and a catalyst for me to stop drinking at that time. She was about to make a major life transition. She was moving out of state to go to a different school in California from Texas. And she was 19, going to be 19 at the time and basically moved to the West Coast solo. She didn't know anybody. We found roommates for her. Um, it wasn't a college situation. It was more of a trade school. And um, so anyway, that that transition in her life for me as a mom was so huge. I knew it would cause me so much anxiety. And I, at that point, I just I started realizing that alcohol was actually fueling the fire of the anxiety. That's when I was starting to put that together. And so I was really excited to do this really hard, exciting, but difficult thing, totally sober minded because she would call, you know, that's West Coast time and I'm here in Texas. So she would call me much later at night um, on her way home from work or whatever. And I was always available and, you know, she was in San Francisco. So there were a lot of, you know, life experiences she was having and really seeing Um, that I was privy to because I was available. And that started opening up a dialogue between she and I, because she was watching me change in just my availability to her in those late night hours. Mm. And it was part of my sanity to not be drinking because I knew if I were drinking and she called that I might be overly emotional, I might be less available And she's way the heck away. And I needed all hands on deck, all eyes on board. Let's look alive, Jen, like look alive. And so that was a catalyst for me to do something really hard. I knew alcohol was actually not going to help me do that. And, um, and then my son at the time was 16. He was a sophomore in high school, just getting his driver's license. And here I am that's stressful and exciting as well. And I'm trying to, you know, get rid of this elixir that's supposed to calm me down when I feel afraid or nervous or helpless. And so um, we have had a lot of dialogue. Um, My dialogue with them when they were younger, before I stopped drinking was um, awkward at best because I was so frustrated and ashamed that some nights they saw that I was kind of glassy eyed, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of that they can smell it on my breath more than I realized because now kind of being alcohol free, I can smell it really a mile away. Whereas when I was drinking, I didn't smell it on my husband. Fine. Cause I was drinking too. Right. I think my kids could, and I didn't realize that. So I think they were more, I think kids are more attuned than we give them credit for. They can, they can sense a shift when mom or dad is just not all there or they equate, Oh, they've got that long neck bottle in their hand or Mm -hmm. that glass of wine in their hand. And they, they get different, they shift. And so I would own it, you know, the, the handful or two of times that I could kind of see the next morning. I just kind of wanted to say, you know, I'm sorry. I, you know, I just, I'm sorry if I was, you know, affected, you know, I didn't want to say drunk mom because, oh my gosh, just the shame of saying something like that. Because at that point, towards the end of my drinking career, if you will, <laughs> even being a gray area drinker, you know, I'd really worked up to being able to do the bottle breakdown. Um, and the bottle breakdown is something I talk about a lot, whereas I would open a bottle of wine, okay, usually white wine, um, 
but whatever, you know, and I, I loved beer too. I mean, all of it, it was whatever, but I kind of had my routine with my Sauvignon Blanc, my sea glass. And, uh, I would open it at five and I would think to myself, I'm just going to have a glass while I'm cooking. No harm, no foul. Just, you know, I'm an adult. This is what adult women are doing. If I turn on the TV, they're certainly doing it on there. So I'm just following suit here. I know my friends are doing it as well. So nothing wrong with that. I'm not a legalist. I don't want to be, you know, just so uptight, calm down. I'm just going to have a glass while I'm cooking. And so I would do that. I would open the bottle at, at literally five o'clock because that that was appropriate. That was acceptable. Yeah, yeah. And um, I would pour the glass, kind of relish in it. Like I could pour it and just be like, oh, there it is. This is going to feel so good. It's going to be my my deep breath. And then I would sip on it as much as I could. Not like 30 minutes for like a four to six ounces of wine, 30 minutes. I mean, hello, that that's sipping. I mean, I could, I could have drank faster. <laughs> and so I would look at, I would look at the bottle. I would look at the glass. It's empty at five 30. Okay. Five 30. Uh, excuse me. We're still going here. The, the night is young. Uh, there's still a lot of homework to be done, dishes to be washed, laundry to put away. It's still crazy town for hours to go. And so I think to myself, you know what? I worked out today. Hello, I did a 90-minute Bikram yoga class. I can certainly have a little bit more wine. It's only 120 calories glass. You know, if I'm doing my fitness pal, I factored that in because I had my kale at lunch. You know, like it was all kind of methodical in my mind because I was managing mm -hmm. this moderate drinking. Um, and I say moderate because I could physically stop drinking when I wanted to. And that's, that's, I, I think that's an important just side note real quick while we're talking that that kind of denotes what gray area drinking is versus a physical um, addiction to alcohol. You know, it's called alcohol use disorder. Now they've really taken alcoholic out of the books. It's not really a medical diagnosis anymore because that's all that's too black and white. Mm. It's too all or nothing. Mm -hmm. They really realize that it's um, that there's a, there's a continuum. There's a use of dependent, there's a dependency, AUD, you know, like you're going to have more dependency on alcohol, the longer you drink it and the more you drink it, <laughs> it's just a fact of the substance. And so I was able to pull away. It was just, I didn't want to, or if I did, I felt miserable, but physically I was good to go. Um, although the cravings were real, the physical cravings were very real. Um, so anyway, back to the bottle breakdown. So I would have glass number two, you know, from I don't know, 5.30 to 6, you know, while I'm still waiting on people to come in from practice and, um, or I would have that second glass maybe at dinner. You know, again, we see this at the dinner table on all the movies we watch on all the TV shows, you know, dad has his drink, mom has her drink. So again, nothing to see here, children, nothing to see anyone look away. There's nothing to see. And meanwhile, in my mind, I'm like really starting to kind of feel this entitlement almost to my time. Mm -hmm. And then the bottle breakdown is happening. Now I'm in Texas, so I can pour a pretty good size glass of wine. So <laughs> I was getting about four glasses mm -hmm. per bottle, right? That's neat for you out there. If you can get five, <laughs> I was four. so I, that's why my bottle breakdown is four glasses. So that third glass, that was the one where I was like, okay, now I'm going against my good intentions. Now I feel like I'm kind of breaking promises to myself from earlier today. 
what the heck? I've already got two glasses in me. So that's also altering my decision making ability because that's going on. And that third glass, Lindsay, would happen a lot of times again in the mom zone. I was at, at the kitchen sink, all the dishes, all the skillet from cooking with the first glass are now all waiting for me. Everyone scatters, got homework, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that's all right. I got it. I've got my 80s, you know, Pandora on. I got it. It was almost easier for me to do it myself, which again, lack of boundaries, like get more help in there. It was right. more work for help than it was just to do it myself. Oh it gosh, story of parenting. Story oh, of parenting right there. Oh, I was like, I can make everybody help me and I can manage everyone helping me or I can just drink that third glass of wine and do it myself. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I did. So I was the woman and this is why I do what I do. This is my passion. This is where it comes from. I was the woman. I was the mom at the kitchen sink at seven o'clock, 7.30 on my third glass of wine sometimes, not every night, but often just kind of starting to get invisible, just kind of starting to kind of lay low. Now I've got teenagers at this time. So that's kind of the MO, you know, kind of be, you know, seen, not heard. It's almost like backwards of, you know, like when you're a child, you know, be seen, not heard. Well, as a mom of teenagers, that almost becomes mm. like the MO, like just stay out of the way, uh, man. Don't a whole nother conversation in itself. Oh my gosh. Oh Yeah. So I'm at the kitchen sink and I'm just like, you know, I'm just trying to kind of keep the peace and, you know, I don't know that this was kind of what was going on in my mind, but it, it was a long time ago for me, but yet it feels like just yesterday because I did it repeatedly often mm -hmm. for so many years. Um, and that's where I started to feel like, okay, I don't really matter so much right now. Nobody's noticing, nobody cares what I'm drinking or what I'm doing. We're all just surviving our life right now. And this is my survival time and I'm getting stuff done. I'm, I'm cleaning the kitchen. I'm staying out of everyone's way and um, don't mind me. In fact, I'm going to wipe down the countertop. And now I've got this bottle of wine in the fridge. It's eight, eight 30. I've got this bottle of wine in the fridge that has a fourth of it left. Rut row. Now, what am I going to do? Has the hubby even noticed that I opened it? It's in the door. You know, like, does anyone even care or know I am riding it high with the three glasses in me in the three hours with lots of water and eating, you know, right. so I'm not crazy drunk mom. I'm just floating through my own life, just gliding through. And this was literally like when I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe I just polished off a bottle of wine because I would pour the fourth glass to take to the bathtub so I could recycle the bottle and get it gone out of sight, out of mind. I'm embarrassed myself to myself. I've undone my workout. I know I have now. I know I've undone my workout now. And I kind of just want to just finish it off. I'm a finisher. <laughs> I'm a leader. I'm an achiever. Um, I'm a high octane, you know, go getter. So I'm a go getter too, when it comes to just, let's just finish it. Because if I, if I carry it on to tomorrow, now I've got a quarter of a bottle of wine, which would never be enough by itself. Oh, totally. That's like that's annoying to just have like this much left. What's the point? So I'm going to have to buy another bottle anyway, whether I share it with my husband or not. I know that's not going to do it. I'm just going to finish it off, man. I'm going to finish it off and boom, bottle breakdown. It's a Wednesday night. I'm just making spaghetti. What's happening? And that is how subtly it happened. To go from, I don't really drink at all in my 20s to, I'm just going to socialize with alcohol 
in my 30s, it started to become more and more of a thing. By the time 40 hits, I got the teenagers. Again, not blaming them either. Not blaming my husband or my teenagers, but just my life stage was was that. And so, um, yeah, the bottle breakdown. Oh, and then the self-loathing at 3 a.m. to wake up knowing that you I did, did it to yourself. Myself. Oh my gosh, I just, I did this to myself. But I wanted it, but I didn't want it. But once I got started, it was hard to stop, but I could have stopped, but I would have been so miserable. And why stop? My husband's on a pub ride on his bike with his buddies and he's on his third beer. And my kids are in their rooms on their phones. I got lost. Right. And I I think this is important to know because this is the reality that's going on in countless, countless homes and lives. Hey friends, a quick break here. Hey, do you wear sunglasses? I wear sunglasses all the time. I love them. You can get yourself a pair of Gooder sunglasses for 15% off when you use the code ANOTHER15. And if you haven't tried Gooder sunglasses, let me just tell you, they are affordable, they are fashionable, and they're functional. They don't slip around when you're running around chasing kids or out for a run yourself or lifting weights, whatever you do. They stay in place and they have really fun colors as well as really traditional chill styles. I love the breakfast run to Tiffany's sunglasses. I also love their aviators, but I also love their really fun, bright colors as well. And uh, you all can save when you go to gooder.com slash another and use the code another one five. That's another 15 for 15% off your order. All right, friends, back to my conversation with Jen. You know, I, the, in the terminology survive, like I think that is thrown around so much when we have little, little kids Yeah. and you're talking about, you know, the part of your life when your kids are teenagers. But I feel like even when we have little kids, it's like, oh, I'm just surviving and just getting by. And I've always been like, I don't want to just survive. I don't want to just right. get by. Like, I don't want to live my life like that. And though there were days and there still are days where I kind of feel like at the end of the day, like, okay. You know, it's, you know, we survived. Um, I have really intentionally been like, no, we are, we don't have to just survive because it's chaotic. Like we right. can, we can thrive in right. the chaos. We can, but we have to choose. Right. Right. And I tell you what, that survival mode is just so easy to slip into because it's familiar. It's the default. It takes a lot of intention to thrive. But you're right. It's totally possible. I mean, I'm living proof of it. I feel like once I flipped the switch and changed the lead domino of drinking, which was huge in my life. Again, I'm going out on the weekends while I'm trying to not drink during the week, during wine o'clock. And my husband is drinking. There are times that I would just say, bro, tonight, can you not drink for me? Like, I just, I can't watch you drink because it's not like I'm going to just go nuts and it makes me want to drink, but like, it's a disconnect. Yeah. It it's totally a is. disconnection. Um, and then there were other times I was like, actually you drinking makes me feel normal because mm. I don't want you to change your whole life for me. Cause then it makes me feel like, Ooh, kind of like, I don't want to be that person that like, oh, Jen's around, put it down. We can't drink around Jen, save the fun for later. Yeah. No, no, 
please, by all means, one of my best friends uh, and I went to dinner this last weekend. We were at dinner for three hours. She had two glasses of wine while I was not drinking. No problem. And we talked about sobersis a large portion of that time. And I love that we have a real friendship like that where she can be herself and I can be myself. But there were times early on um, or even now where, you know, if it's an anniversary trip or a time where my husband and I are really trying to connect, I don't want to invite alcohol. Mm -hmm. I don't want to invite alcohol to come. No invitation extended. Sorry, you're not the guest of honor like you used to be. But then other times I'm like, I, I don't care. Actually, I've got such great alternatives. Um, cheers. Cheers to that. You know, You know, I think that the vacation mentality too, like, oh, we're on the beach. It's like, oh, yeah. just it's just like a necessity. And I'm like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a necessity. Like, do we have to drink every day just because we're on vacation? That is what people right. do. Oh, and day drinking because now all bets are off. Forget this five o'clock. No, business. yeah, it's That's noon. Over. It's time. This no. is, yeah, this is pool, poolside daytime. And then you're just going. I don't know how people do the whole day thing. Even I'm like, I don't want my vacation ruined. But but I will say if at if it if I'm on vacation and it's after three, I'm yeah. like, all right, we're g- game on. Before three, yeah. I'm like, no, because then I won't even enjoy my evening. But if I can, right. yeah, if it's late enough, there's a lot of mind games going on there. A lot of mind games. It takes so much bandwidth yeah. to uh, organize all this in our minds. That's what I found anyway. It was, it was taking a lot of my time. Even when I wasn't drinking, I was thinking about drinking. I was thinking about not drinking. Am I, I was going thinking to? about what I would drink, yeah. what I would not, how I would get it, how I would have just enough, but not too much on hand. I was that bottle of, bottle at a time girl. Um, Every once in a while, it's blurred and get the box. Oh, yeah. The Boda <laughs> that Box. That's the worst thing that they ever invented. Oh, I used to They're do the Boda Box. They were genius. I was like, this is fantastic. Nobody can see how much I'm drinking. I can't even see how much I'm drinking. And there's like a spout where you can just kind of fill her up. You genius. know, when we talk okay. about gray area, though, like I'm just, I'll admit right here, what, as you're saying this and you're doing the bottle, I'm justifying in my head because I'm yeah. like, Oh, I would never drink a whole bottle because it would, I would be sick. I think I would be throwing up if I drank a whole bottle, but easy, easy half bottle every night of the week if I wanted to, which for, you know, for me, that's different. But here I'm saying that's me justifying like that my gray area is different from what your gray area was. And, and that's why we call it gray, right? Everybody's different. But that doesn't mean just because it's my half bottle and it might've been your bottle on a Tuesday night. That doesn't mean that it's not consuming too much mental space in my life. Right. And that's really what's more important because we'll always, if we compare, right. you know, some, some people would be like, well, one bottle, gosh, I opened the second one. I'm like, whoa, maybe I right. popped a beer after, but like, whoa, I couldn't like plow through two bottles. I know women who could work, plow through two bottles of wine, go to work the next day, high functioning, get her done. And I'm just like, that blows my mind. So it is very relative. I will say I did start with the one being like the one glass. Let me know. (laughs) The one glass being like, whoa, I really feel that to it being two glasses that started to feel like one. And it took me time to work up to that bottle. Um, It was not instantaneous because I was sick early on with drinking because I did start later in life. I did have kind of the the learning curve. Yeah. You know, yeah. most people are teenagers. Well, hello, I'm a 33 year old mom. Yeah. Like, not cool throwing up in a parking lot. Um, 
which I'm afraid to say I had done because I drank two glasses of cab at the restaurant back to back. Well, my body couldn't do that initially, but over time, that's just the nature of the substance. You build up tolerance naturally because the substance itself, your body learns how to metabolize it better even though everything else shuts down to metabolize the alcohol, the fat burning, the metabolism, everything else shuts down because it's a toxin. It's got to get it out. And um, so that's why, that's why we get sick. Our body's like, dude, I can't do that much. You've overtaxed me to the point. I'm going to have to help you and me out and get it out. Um, But what happens is over time that tolerance builds up because your body has learned better how to deal with the toxin becomes better at it. And so what one glass used to do to me, it took two glasses, same with the third. And that's just over time. And so I would say it took me years, a couple of years, two, three years of just drinking more, drinking more consistently to work up to that. But it was amazing how a bottle, um, which again, yeah, if I, if you would have told me in my 20s, yeah, when you're 40, you're going to be able to drink a whole bottle of wine on your own or have three or four drinks out with the girls, I would have been like, oh, no. First off, that sounds like alcoholic behavior. Number two, there's no way. And there wasn't a way then. But by the time I was 40, 41, 42, there was a way. And it was... it my body had acclimated and it felt totally normal. So what is the conversation? I know I'm going back to this, but like, what do you say to your children? I mean, I'm just thinking like, gosh, it's like dad drinks, mom doesn't, mom has this big community of where she's she's like leading. Yeah. She's like leading all these people into (laughs) this sober, curious life. And yeah, I mean, it's the same for me with like how I want to talk about food with my kids. Like you mostly say like eat almost anything, just, you know, eat in moderation. And like um, you want your body to be filled up with nutrient dense food. But if you want cake, eat cake. And um, so you don't want to make it a big thing. But like this is your life now. So like what do you how do you communicate to them? You know, because they've been watching my journey so close up, having one living at home the first two years that I was doing this alcohol-free thing, and then the other one, just we become really close. We were not as close when she was a teenager as we are now, but we're pretty open, and uh, they both have been on their own drinking journeys. Just because I'm AKA sober, so certainly doesn't mean that they're not in the social scene. One's in college, one is a young you know, business professional in Austin, single. Yeah. Um, Let's meet for drinks is just uh, like a normal phrase that people use to connect. Let's meet for drinks. So, um, yeah, I think, I think because they've seen me be honest, once I kind of came out, I guess, with a little bit more of my struggle with them, because I was honestly, I felt ashamed and confused that I couldn't get a better grip on it. So I didn't make alcohol something I wanted to talk about with them. Um, it was more like, sorry, oh, you know, alcohol is not bad, but you know, you can't have too much of it. Now I'm like, you know what, how much control do you want to be in, in some of these situations you're putting yourself in? You know, y'all are 22 and almost 24. 
you're adults now. This is on you. But even 16 to 18, when all this started for me, they were also kind of old. The the repercussions of their own choices made a difference. I think if I had younger kids and had stopped drinking at a younger age myself with younger kids, um, I think openness, open, open dialogue. You know, my growing up where I grew up in West Texas, kind of grew up in the Bible Belt in West Texas and great parents that, you know, are still together today, wonderful role models, but alcohol was not something they were really into. So I didn't really see a cautionary tale around me. They weren't drinkers um, really at all. Um, I think because they had seen cautionary tales in their upbringing. So by the time I was the kid, I was the beneficiary of them having grown up in a home where alcohol maybe was abused. So I got the benefits of them being like, no, we're not doing that. We're not going down that trail, but they didn't really talk about it. Nobody did in the eighties. No one was talking about alcohol except for alcoholism and AA and like end of the line. And you think of the stereotypes and the stigma versus this sober, curious, alcohol-free mocktails. Like that was not a thing. And so the three rules I learned growing up around alcohol were, um, you know, first off, don't drink if you're not 21. That's the law. That's the rule. Plain and simple. If you get caught before you're 21, you're, you're broken. You've broken the law. And I'm a kind of, I'm a very law abiding citizen. I'm a rule follower by nature. And so the thought of like, I don't know. I grew up in a small town with a a family that had been there for a long time. And so sure enough, I would have been the one that got caught And my rule following this really helped me, I think in that way. And two, watching other people around me make epic mistakes. I was like, well, that that's not me. Okay. I'm watching it. It's not me. Um, not in a judgmental way, but in a, whoa, that could have been me. If I were doing that, it's not me. I feel kind of safe. So don't drink, uh, unless you're 21, don't drink and drive. If you are 21, that was a big no, no is the drinking and driving, which of course, most everyone does now think about it. Uh, 90% of adults are drinking at a restaurant and they're all getting in their car. And Somebody's leaving, driving so home. Everybody's driving. Everybody's drinking and driving. If we're being honest, um, I mean, how are you going to get home from the restaurant? Not everyone is Ubering to dinner. Every time. Ubering, yep. Yeah. And everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people are, are drinking. So um, there was that. And then there was the, uh, you know, growing up in a Christian home, growing up where faith is such a big part of who I am. It was the, well, drinking's not wrong. Don't be a legalist. Alcohol's not wrong. It's not a sin, but getting drunk. Yes. Is. So those were the three rules. Don't drink unless you're 21. Don't drink and drive and don't drink to get drunk. Got it. Okay, cool. Well, what if I'm 33? What if I'm what if I'm a mom? What if I'm working? What if I'm an adult? All of these rules don't necessarily you know, I'm over 21. So that that one's gone. You know, it's like the rules were too basic and too general than talking about emotions and coping skills and boundaries and what alcohol really does that how it slows down your reaction time. And I, I wish I would have known more about it. Yeah. I mean, cause like, I don't want my kids to remember like ma- mom always having a glass of wine at the end of the day. And you know, when I was growing up, well, I always say my dad's an alcohol, he's a functional alcoholic. I've always said that. And I even remember like even five years ago, I'd be like, oh, my dad's an alcoholic. He drinks beer every day. And my friends would be like, well, that doesn't mean he's an alcoholic. I'm like, oh, it doesn't. But he can't not drink. So isn't he an alcoholic? You know what I mean? Like all this terminology. And, you right. know, I kind of recently-ish 
meaning like in my adult life found out that my mom, you know, my parents were really young when they had us like 19, 21, 23. And, um, they were partying like they were young kids partying. And my mom just got to the third kid and was like, I can't continue on like this. Like if I'm going to stay married, if I'm going to raise these girls the way I want to raise these girls, like one of us can't drink. And it's right. And it was going to be her. Like that was what the, what what it was. And you know, I think that, I think I've taken that for granted, even into my adult life that my mom made that I wouldn't say sacrifice per se. I mean, it was probably the best, one of the best decisions she could have ever made. Right. She's definitely better off for it. So are y'all because drinking doesn't add anything. I mean, if you really think about it, um, it's, it's not really a plus sign. It's, it's usually more, even just, even just from a, um, and again, I'm not anti-alcohol. I mean, I am anti-big alcohol and all that they're doing with the marketing and messaging to women. I'm not a big fan, but alcohol itself, if you really think about it, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, a piece of chocolate cake. Is that really a plus? Well, you know, you just have to weigh it out, but it's not really, it's not, it's not ever brought anything good, like awesome. I'm so, I've, I've never regretted not drinking the next day. I've never been like, you know what? I wish I would have had that glass the next day. I think that my favorite part of the conversation right now is the conversation we've had around how available you can be for your kids if you don't have it. It's not to say you can't be available, but like you talking about your daughter being so far away Like, I want to be 100% showing up, not annoyed, not tired, not grumpy, not not distracted because I want to have a second glass of wine and really enjoy it without having to talk on the phone for 45 minutes. But what if she needs me? Right. I mean, I think that that's it. I think that that it is such a distractor. And, you know, gosh, when you talk about like, uh, what good does it bring? Like, oh, man, that's why I was scared to enter this conversation. (laughs) I You're like, actually, I come to think of it. <laughs> want to look forward to the margaritas I'm going to have before a concert or whatever. But I do yeah. think that that's yeah. like you talk about that highway. We'll just we'll just wrap up with going back to that highway. It's like, yeah. well, get off the highway for a little bit. Maybe yeah. you can have margaritas before the concert and it not consume your mind all week. Right. But you won't know unless you try. Right. And, you know, really, I guess the challenge that I've had to give myself and and work through with others is do the margaritas before the concert, for example, really enhance the concert. If if you're so excited and I'm including myself in this, if we're so excited about an event or a wedding or my goodness, you're the bride or the mother of the bride, we're so excited about the event, but we attach drinking to it. Doesn't that take our presence away? from the very thing that we are most excited about enjoying that it, it almost, I think, I think we've got the myth that alcohol enhances experiences when really it kind of blurs experiences from their technicolor. It puts things kind of in this hazy, I love it. I'm hanging out kind of loosey goosey way versus the technicolor like, no, I'm really here and I'm catching the details that if I'd had a drink or two, eh, 
might kind of fall by the wayside. And so I feel more alive creating these alcohol-free experiences. And that's that's what's so motivating to me is especially in that first month or that first hundred days or whatever someone's goal would be to to just look for how many alcohol-free new experiences you can create going in with this. I'm going to try something new. Now I've been to a thousand concerts drinking, but have I been to a concert lately not drinking? What would that be like? You know, I've, I've danced at wedding receptions, uh, you know, as a non-drinker and a drinker, but after drinking for a decade and a half, what would it be like to go to, to dance without drinking? Could I do that? You can, mm. <laughs> you know, you can wear really high heels as well <laughs> without worry, <laughs> which is a real, a real bonus. But, um, and looking at each of these opportunities is like, just like, I'm going to try that on, see how that fits. Like almost like you would, you know, go shopping and, and bring a ton of stuff in the dressing room and some things are going to fit better than others. I think you'd be surprised how well alcohol free experiences fit but because we don't give ourselves the opportunity to do that because it's so expected and it's so normalized to drink during those times, we just don't know. We just forget that we can. And like kids, they don't show up at the playground, and cr- you know, crack a beer to have fun, you know, and wh- where did we start doing that as adults? You know, that's a great example. I look at my kids like just living it up, running wild and free outside. Yeah, that's what you want. Right. And they're not, they're not moderating or thinking about the next drink or, or using a beverage to enhance their experience because their mind's a little, you know, buzzed. I mean, they're not trying to, their, their buzz is from the playground. Which is really like why, why we exercise and why we socialize. You know, I always, I think my biggest thing is like, well, one to two drinks in Lindsay at a party is way more fun than zero drinks in Lindsay. And that's what makes me anxious about giving it up. I, I truly think that, and I've always like, you know, my sister and I talk about this cause she's the, she's uh, my sister that doesn't drink. And, um, I'm always like, well, I'm a good drinker. I know when to stop. I know just what to do to get the perfect buzz that I don't mm-hmm. get drunk, but I am having a good time and I, and, and I won't be hungover. Don't get me wrong. It wakes me up in the middle of the night. Um, (laughs) But like, I've like almost prided myself on like, I've got this thing figured out. I was never the girl who blacked out in college. I was never the girl that like made really like poor decisions because I drank too much. I always knew where my line was. Right. But that, I think what I'm like, as we talk through this, it's like, it's, it's the brain consumption. That's what it is. It's the opportunity cost. I'm a business person in yeah. my head. I, I have a marketing degree. So it's it's the opportunity cost of where not only your bandwidth is, but also I would, and I know social anxiety is a real thing. And I know that alcohol can dole that. It's a real thing. And that's, and a lot of people deal with that uh, for sure. I, I was less on that because I didn't drink for so long socially. Yeah. I knew that I didn't need it. In fact, if anything, for me as a drinker socially, I was always like, oh, am I changing? I can't tell. Right. I, yeah. I was always trying to find that line. Whereas when I was at home, it was like, well, I don't care. There's nobody here. Right. Um, but my own family. <laughs> God bless. 
just those people who I really love, who are really paying attention. <laughs> the people I care them. most about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the social anxiety and what I, what I see too is how often we, again, as a society outsource our confidence and our resilience to a drink. It's like outsourcing. It's like, I don't know if I can do it by myself. I don't know if I'm funny enough. I don't know if I'm relaxed enough. And I always tell women this um, when I work with them in my reset is anytime you're at a party or a function or a, a tailgating or anything and people walk into a room as adults, everyone's walking in with different energy. Some people have had a great day at work. Some people got fired that day. Some people just had a blowout, knock down, drag out, you know, conflict with their hubby on the way. Others just got flowers. Dude, people are coming in from so many different uh, experiences from their day that it's a natural clash of energy mm-hmm. where people are like trying to read each other, trying to read the room. Like, where do I fit in? That is kind of part of socializing that feels uncomfortable. That's kind of awkward for anyone, drinker or non-drinker. There's that moment where you're like, am I accepting? Even as adults, I know it sounds crazy, but we're adults listening and there's peer pressure and there's social acceptance and there is, am I good enough? Am I, do I have it together enough? It, am I interesting enough? Mm-hmm. All the things. And I think when we walk in and we immediately are like, where's the cash bar at a wedding or like, where, where is it? we just circumvent that moment where if we'll just get through it by just knowing this too shall pass, we'll get on the other side, sometimes in a matter of seconds or minutes. And then all the energy in the room starts to settle. Granted, many people have had that drink now and you don't have to have that to ride that same wave of ease. If you are anticipating, Hey, I might feel a little bit, like awkward at first, or like, who am I in here? What, what's happening? And that's one thing that I've enjoyed most about becoming alcohol free again, like I was in my younger days is it's given me a lot more confidence because I'm anticipating it's that awkward moment. How are you? The small talk, the, what are we doing? And then getting through that. And by the time people are on that second drink and I'm on my third, you know, tonic water and lime and cucumber and all the great things that you can make with drinks. Now Um, I'm feeling very settled. I'm feeling really confident and I'm not feeling like um, a part of me had to let go to be all there. I feel like I'm still all there. I'm still the same gen as the gen that walked in and I'm going to be the same gen that leaves. And that congruency to me feels good. Sounds empowering a personal integrity. Like I'm in, I'm, I've got integrity with myself right now. This is not about other people. So not about judging other people or what they're doing or what's in their glass. This is a personal integrity for me because I have an internal boundary that says, I really want to be present. I really want to be all there. I did work out this morning. I did drink my green juice at lunch. I want to stay congruent. I don't want to have a couple of drinks so that I can have fun at this party, even subconsciously. So I'm going to get through that first three to five minutes. And now it's now it's like no, no big deal because I know I can do that. I've done it time and time and time and time 
again. But it was awkward at first, especially if my husband was drinking too. And I felt like, oh, we, I mean, early on, I remember vividly going to dinner parties with other couples where there were only two or three couples, you know, four or six of us and everyone's drinking but me. And I felt like, are they going to think I'm not as fun? Yeah. They think I have a bigger problem with alcohol than I do. Like, oh, poor Jen, she can't drink versus, wow, that's awesome for Jen. She's choosing not to drink right now. Yeah. And so, yeah, mindset. Yeah, that's so good. It's empowering. And I love that you talk about like, bring your own drink, bring a fun drink. Like, you decorate it up, do all, make it feel fun. I mean, I think that's part of, part of the pouring the glass at dinner time is like the, like the fact that I have poured, I have poured my sparkling water into like a wine glass just to be like, I have a fancy glass. And that's what that's, I mean, that's part of what it is. Like you said, like you'd relish in that like first 30 minutes. It's like, you can do that with something that's not alcohol. Totally. Like tomorrow night, I'm going out to dinner with a couple of friends. We're going to one of my favorite Mexican food restaurants. Well, I've figured out now how to order at a restaurant. Oh, what do you order at your Mexican restaurant? Oh my gosh. It's going to be so awesome. I'm already super pumped about it. So I'm going to get a Topo Chico on the rocks um, with lots of lime juice poured in there. Um, The chances of them having a a zero proof uh, tequila, which they do make, it's out there. I mean, I don't even need that. And then I'm going to have them salt the rim. Yeah. I'm going to have them salt the rim of my Topo Chico on the rocks with the lime, um, maybe even with the chili kind of uh, spice. Um, sometimes I have a little jalapeno sliced and put jalapeno in there. Oh my gosh, it's so good. It is so good. What's so, Topo Chico? Topo Chico is a sparkling mineral water. Okay. And so just if you don't have Topo where you are, don't know that brand, um, oh, okay. any sparkling water or mineral water will do. Okay. Um, but Topo Chico is an easy one to find. And especially at Mexican food restaurants, because I think it's originally modeled out of Mexico. Okay. So, oh my gosh. I love it. You well, drink it like crazy over here. We have so many like other things, we <laughs> places we could go, but we got to wrap up. Um, Jen has a 21 day refresh, a happy hour survival guide. She has so many resources that are supportive, not pushy. It's all very inclusive. Like you don't have to say I'm giving it up. I'm never drinking again, which I think is a beautiful thing because there's so many people in that gray area. Jen, what is something professionally or personally that you would like to do that you haven't done yet? Oh, Lindsay, great question. Well, my my biggest goal in 2022 here that I've not done yet is embarking on writing the book. The book. The book. And it may be one of many books. I don't know. I may have more than one book in me. But um, yeah, uh, really writing the books. You know, getting getting it out there in a in a written format where women can hear a little bit about my story, but really more about some of these pillars, really these foundational truths of, you know, how to really create and build this this alcohol free life, this sober minded life, um, I think is what the direction I'm leaning. But I'm in the early stages of the of the book. That's (laughs) awesome. I'm excited for you. I love sober minded. I just, I think that's such a good way to put it. Sober minded, clear minded, yeah. clear minded. You can, you could say yeah, whatever you want. Sober minded, exactly. I like clear minded. Yeah. Um, awesome. 
what is the best, most recent book you've read? Well, this is actually kind of fun. I'm going to give a major plug for my friend Peggy Cooney. She actually uh, has has gone through the programs in SoberSys. She did the 21-Day Reset Challenge. She went on to do um, AFL, which is a 10-week course that I wrote about the pillars of alcohol-free living and is in something now called The Quest, which is kind of our community where women who do want to pursue this alcohol-free lifestyle, well, she's written a book. So that's pretty cool to go with someone from 2019 as a drinker who really was at the beginning of her stage to be able to cheer her on. Her book is called This Side of Alcohol. Okay. And it's her, it's really her autobiography. It's really her story and how um, setting down the drink changed her life and what all the benefits she's received from it. So most recently, um, that's the book that I've got by my bedside. Um, but there are there are so many books out there about this topic. Um, I love William Porter's book, Alcohol Explained. It's got great science in it. Um, Annie Grace wrote This Naked Mind. These are all classics, if you will. And a lot of what I teach in my 21 Day Reset is really a lot of the best of what I found that worked for me um, and kind of packaged it in my own experience. But it's the same principles, same tools. And um, yeah, so there's a lot of good ones out there. Do you have a trip, vacation experience with your kids that you would recommend, like one of your favorite trips you've done to the listeners? Yes, I love this question. Okay, so in 2019, before the world completely changed <laughs> and uh, became the world that we're living in now, um, it was December of 2019. I'd been alcohol-free for a couple of years. Our kids were at that point, um, well, do the math on that, you know, kind of around 20, 21. Um, and we took them to an all-inclusive resort in Cabo. And to go with your adult children to an all-inclusive is, is something else, I got to say. And to be a non-drinker, to really be the only non-drinker in my family at that time. And that, <laughs> did, did that bug you? Uh, no, I went in really prepared. Yeah. And I also went in knowing that it was a first. Yep. Even for me, having this two years alcohol-free, already had started sober cis at that point. It was still a first for me, and uh, yeah, they were trying to give us cold beer in a cooler in the you know in the uh, car from the airport to the to the hotel. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're trying to give us beer on the way because you know it's Mexico. Yeah, and um, yeah, so I just had to get creative and and really had a really great time, and uh, it was fun. It was really our last big family vacation you know, to travel per se since yeah. that time. Uh, what is your last message to leave with the audience today? Oh, that's a good one too. You know, hey, if you've got that little tiny voice inside, you know, there's just that little whisper. You know, I always, I always prayed to God, God, take it away. Like take it away. Mm. And I'm so glad he didn't take it away. Think about that. What would that have looked like for him to take it away, take it out of my grip? Um, instead, I think, listen to that whisper. You don't need a yell. Do you want to yell? You know, do you need a yell to put it down? If you've got a little whisper inside that says, hey, hey, there may be a different way here. There may be something to explore. Listen, listen to that tiny voice sooner than later, because what's on the other side, I think it's going to blow your mind. I think it's going to I think it's going to amaze you 
that you really can thrive, um, whether that's drinking less or not at all, that there's so much more on the other side of that uncertainty. But if you've got that little voice kind of going, you know what, maybe this isn't serving you. It's just not serving you. Listen to it and follow through because um, the, the time, you know, you can't get back time. It's marching on. And uh, you don't want to waste that time kind of like I did for years, kind of circling around, just kind of going in circles. You can get out of that detox to retox loop sooner than later. It, it's possible. And uh, so I say, listen to that little voice. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. Appreciate it. I hope this was helpful for you. Hope it gave you just something to think about, if nothing else, just something to think about and ponder on. Uh, I know this is a topic that takes up too much brain space in my own head. Not the topic that we talked about with Jen, but just should I drink? Should I not drink? Should I drink? Should I not drink at night? And so um, this was a really helpful conversation for me. Uh, You all can learn more about what Jen is doing. Uh, Her website is SoberSys.com. Also Instagram, she's SoberSys over there. She's super casual and cool and fun. She does Instagram lives. She also shares really cool mocktail recipes over there. Uh, And you can find this podcast on Instagram. It's called Why Is Everyone Yelling? As well as my personal Instagram. I would love to connect with you personally as well. And my Instagram is lindsayhines626. Learn more about this show and all the shows in the Sandy Boy Network when you go to sandyboyproductions.com. Hey, thanks for being here and we will see you next week on Why Is Everyone Yelling?